Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Carol Zernio, is with us as well, and we are always delighted when she is part of the program. She has been chasing around the country virtually, working out of her home, as many who work for Wellman have been doing, doing the work that COVID-19 has put upon the company and its senior people, but we're delighted that she's able to carve out the time today to be with us. And in a moment, we're going to welcome Tam Cummings on board. She knows a whole lot about memory and memory work and cross-promoting the kind of work that we do here at the Charitable Foundation with the teleconnection. We'll tell you about that as well. But first, Carol, uh, you have been just absolutely knee-deep and higher in uh, COVID-19, trying to provide help and services and really food for homebound elderly. How's that program, Wilma Delivers, going? Well, I can tell you that things have slowed down even as the coronavirus has ramped up. Um, so we're, we believe that when the communities in Texas, at least, and in Florida, opened back up, a lot of people felt comfortable going to the store. So now we're kind of waiting to see how folks are doing. The good news is many older people are remaining sheltered in place, staying safe, staying home. And our message to them is continue to do so, please. Um, and let someone know if you don't have the food that you need or if you need anything delivered to your home that you can't get out and get. You know, we it takes a community a lot of times to keep everyone safe. One of the things that has amazed me listening in uh, during the week to a, a call that goes out from WellMed to several hundred people around the country is how flexible and adaptable the clinics have become and WellMed has become uh, delivering healthcare in parking lots and now uh, converting more and more patients uh, to virtual uh, meetings over a uh, interconnected television system. It is amazing how they have adapted from requiring brick and mortar. Well, it is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing that you know between the telehealth, the parking lot kind of drive-by uh, doctor visits, leaning out through windows. I know of a doctor who was talking to patients out the window of a clinic while the person was in their car, um, as well as the in-person. The main thing, uh, and what we want to tell caregivers is if you're caring for someone with a chronic health condition, even during COVID, those conditions have to be managed. So diabetes doesn't go away. Heart disease doesn't go away. None of those um, illnesses go away uh, while you're trying to shelter from COVID. And so please work with your primary care provider to find a way to continue to take care of all the health care needs of the person you're caring for. And that's a good point to uh, bring in Tam Cummings. Dr. Cummings uh, is a specialist in working with patients uh, with Alzheimer's and with their caregivers as well. She's authored and published four books for Dementia Caregivers, talks nationally, was here in San Antonio uh, last fall for the WellMed Cheryl Foundation Caregivers Summit, did a fabulous job in, in talking with folks there. Uh, she is a specialist in a lot of the issues we're talking about. And Tam Cummins, welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. 
Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Carol. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are, are doing this. It just reaches so many folks who need it. I, I was thinking about you coming on and uh, the challenge that it takes in explaining to someone uh, who, who may have uh, dementia at whatever level they're at, uh, why the world has changed around them, why they have to wear a mask if they go out, uh, why they may not be able to see their uh, primary care physician other than from the front seat of an automobile. And those kinds of changes, tough enough to communicate it uh, to me, who in theory is at least cognitively normal. How do you con- convey that information uh, to those who are not quite connected to the world? You, you repeat it a lot. And I think, um, Ron, that's probably a, a hard thing for a family caregiver to grasp. Part of what's happening to your loved one is dementia is attacking and destroying their brain. So as connections are lost, the logic you and I know that this is a virus looking for a host and we don't want to be a host, therefore we want to put a mask on, that information you and I, our brain's able to retain it, use it, refresh it, recall it again and again and again until we just automatically put on our mask person with dementia's brain is damaged, it's no longer making all of those connections. And it it may have a little chemical rush and make the connections right now. But Ron, you and I haven't worn, we didn't grow grow up wearing masks. So eventually the mask is going to come off and the caregiver is going to have to repeat the instructions again when they're taking the person out. And Carol, back me up on this. Ron, you probably know this, but if a person with dementia is around an agitated caregiver, you're going to have an agitated person with dementia. So it is critical that the caregiver stay calm when they put their mask on and that they stay calm getting the mask on their other person. Well, Carol's background in in, uh, gerontology, a graduate of not only Trinity University, but the uh, University of the Incarnate Word, where she got her master's degree in, in social gerontology. Uh, she has seen it all and has talked on this show about experiencing uh, caregiving uh, for someone with Alzheimer's because she has experienced that in, in her family. And I don't mean to be talking about Carol as if she's predeceased us. She's I here. I was going to say, I can hear every word you're saying. <laughs> you're, you're alive and well. So that was a good point that Tam made, Carol. Uh, if a, a person with dementia is dealing with an agitated caregiver, they're going to be agitated. Well, you know, and I think that Tam makes a great point just in general that um, so much of what we get when we're around someone with dementia is based upon what's going on in their environment. You know, my mother-in-law could not stand clutter. And if you were to get everything out to make dinner and put it all over the kitchen, her kitchen cabinet at her house, she would become extremely angry. I mean, you could just see the gray cloud on her face. And so if you are agitated and nervous and scared, just like little kids pick up on it, people know, you know, they know you. They grew, they've been around you. They know if you're agitated. And so you're creating a situation by not keeping yourself calm that that person with dementia is going to pick up on. Tim, what, what led you into this field, Tim Cummins? My father told me to do something I love, and I love older folks, and I am fascinated by what happens to them when, when the disease process begins. And one of the areas that you've worked in is memory and how memory works, and you've been a, a guest expert on our WellMed Charitable Foundation telecommunications program, which brings people together in uh, what are 
essentially because it's through the phone, a worldwide support group. Yes, sir. How how is that work? How has that worked out? How does memory work out, or how does the teleconnection work out? Well, I think both. (laughs) I think both, but let's go to memory first. Uh, Um, Talk to me a bit about, you know, first we're born uh, with a blank slate other than what we hear through the womb, and then we're inundated with inputs. Well, we're born with certain things hardwired already up and running, and then other things begin to make connections as the infant begins to mature. And then eventually those things, the the infant becomes old enough for that to actually become what is the basis of long-term memory. And then as we continue to age, um, it's now thought the brain finishes developing in the 30s. Um, which certainly explains some of my behavior in my 20s. But um, we know that it's a much longer process than we thought. We know, for example, that that cell phones actually interfere with development of frontal lobe connectors that that must happen at age 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And um, so there are concerns about that. But memory is a a building block process. Um, To a lot of people, memory means, um, the only way they think of it is not having memory. So when the doctor says, for example, your loved one's going to lose their memory, they think of that more as, oh, they'll get forgetful. And they don't understand there are different ways that the word memory is used. And in dementia, the word memory means everything you and I can do. It is our ability to do those things that started very early in our life, Ron. Um, transfer, y'all, y'all are parents, so... Parents remember your child's first transfer. That's when they turn themselves over from their back onto their stomach. Right. And then that transfer becomes the transfer you and I do to come from a lying to a sitting to a standing position. Um, memory then, as connections begin, continue to be made, then we begin to learn to ambulate, toilet, bathe, groom, dress, and eat. And those are our activities of daily living. Those are very long-term memory. We've been doing them from the beginning. And then you also have sensory memory. Um, that's where Mama said, don't touch it. It's hot. You, you didn't understand hot, but once you touched it, you totally figured out what hot was. And then you have um, short-term memory, which is uh, memory that's really where the, the brain is paying a lot of attention over several minutes or even just a few seconds. And in dementia, what happens is memory which is what the brain does. It, it takes in the stimulation uh, around us, the environment around us, the noise, the sounds, the people, the smells. Those cause nerve impulses to fire electrical charges and release chemicals. Those things then activate the limbic and the hippocampus systems in the brain, and those two systems, the limbic and hippocampus, actually turn that stimulation into what you and I call memory. And that memory is stored in the brain, which is where all of our memory is. Um, So when the doctor says dementia and they're going to lose their memory, the doctor means the ability to do everything from who I actually am and being able to recognize myself in the mirror to understanding how to transfer, ambulate, toilet, bathe, groom, dress, and eat. And so at the end, people with dementia who live to the final stage of the disease frequently die Ron with a significantly damaged brain. And so as we go through COVID, as families deal with the stress of being in-home caregivers, you've got to remember it every single time. Your loved one is undergoing devastating brain damage. 
And one of the things well, that you know, fascinates people, me about... Yeah, go ahead, Carol. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking that very few, um, you know, physicians and people in the business making that distinction about memory loss equates to um, inability to do things. People, I mean, that's, that they're just not thinking of the connection. Oh, I, I agree. When... Um, when I ask professional caregivers, do people with dementia fall down because of brain damage? Out of 3,500 responses, 3,498 said no. People with dementia fall down because they forget how to walk. Well, isn't forget? Wouldn't that be in the brain? And, and don't people with dementia have brain damage? So we have a huge disconnect in getting the message out um, to families, to professional and to family caregivers that everything your person is doing is a direct result of brain damage that's occurring. And Carol and Ron, as you know, in this disease, one of the odd things is nobody looks sick until the very end. And for most people, when they look sick finally on the outside to others, they've lost at least a pound of their brain tissue. Wow. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is with us. And we're talking with Dr. Tamp Cummins about memory and memory work and folks with dementia, especially during this time of uh, COVID-19 and the impact that has on families as well who are sequestered, staying in place. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. And importantly, seek help. Talk to others. You may be locked down in your home. But you probably still have a telephone, and just remember to keep that battery charged if it is a, a mobile phone. I'm Ron Aaron. Caregiver SOS On Air is where you find us every week. Podcasts of all of our shows are available. We encourage you to check them out, and you can share those with friends and neighbors as well. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is with us. She's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and is a specialist, as we have talked about, in gerontology. Tam Cummins is a doctorate degree holder in gerontology, dealing with seniors, dealing with other kinds of issues we're talking about. And we were talking about memory and how memory is affected uh, by dementia. And Tam, I want to come Jack, back to uh, something uh, you said about uh, what, what happens with this disease. Uh, lots of us think uh, that all those memories are there. You just can't find the right drawer uh, to open them in your brain. Right except that's not what's happening. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, what's happening is the type of dementia a person has is determined by the type of protein that's failing, where the disease has started in the brain, how the disease is progressing. And the result of each of those dementias is brain tissue death. So as brain cells have tau protein um, begin to fold incorrectly, that causes the roots of the cells to fold and begin to crumble 
the brain cells take in nutrition through those roots. So as those roots begin to tangle, the brain cell starves, it dies, it's removed from the body and waste. Now, if you and I lose a brain cell, we, we get a new brain cell. But in the process of dementia, the brain can't get new brain cells. It, it, this is a different process happening now. And families, because they don't understand this, think, Ron, that if I'll just tell them louder, if I'll tell them again, if I'll write it down, if I'll repeat it a thousand times, if I'll ignore it, they, they think this behavior is happening purposefully, and it's not. The behavior that families witness is actually telling you where in the brain the memory is damaged, where is tissue missing, telling you how advanced the disease is. And it's telling you that they're not doing this behavior purposefully. That takes the brain you and I and Carol have. That takes a three-pound brain. Now, there's a point at which someone diagnosed with dementia, especially if it is early uh, on and you develop a uh, a knowledge of what's happening. Uh, Can you talk with them? Let them know what's coming. Help them understand what that path is like, and does that make it any easier for them? Uh, There are some folks that are diagnosed earlier in the disease process, and um, when I have been a part of that, most of the time what I've seen is great relief because now they actually had a name for what they could feel wasn't working right. They knew they were missing words. They knew that things were changing and and where their brain normally would have grabbed that information or spit that information back out to them wasn't happening anymore. And so my experience has been is that when people are diagnosed earlier in the disease, which is what is hoped for, is that they're actually, there's some gratefulness of being able to say, okay, I'm, I'm not crazy. I actually have something wrong with me. And now that I know I'm not crazy, And while I'm at this point, let me sit down with professionals in my family and make my decisions about how I want my care to be. And so I think it has very positive aspects. And a lot of the work that you do with caregivers is to try to help them understand what's happening and try to bridge that gap and and keep them from hammering uh, that care recipient uh, with question after question after question because they'll never get the answer. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's no offense to the caregiver. It's a human behavior. Since, since you and I were born, Ron, we begin to say to siblings or to other people, you don't say it this way, you do it this way. You don't do it like that. You do it like this. And so part of it is just an instinctive response. Oh, look, you, you asked for the salt and you meant the sugar. Let me correct you on this. Well, all that does to me, a grown person, is make me angry. Right. Because now you've pointed out a deficit that I, that I've just had. You just, Give me the sugar. You know that's what I needed. As you work with what is a growing number of people uh, dealing with dementia, have we as a society gotten any better at providing the assists that families could use? I I would have to be not as positive on that as I would like to be. Um, I think we have state agencies that are doing incredible jobs. I think we need 100 more well-med foundations. Um, if y'all could clone yourselves because of just the outreach you do. I think, um, you know, Ron and Carol, when you, when you look at the numbers and you realize that the, the numbers that are being counted are only the Alzheimer's numbers and that Alzheimer's is only 50% or so of the dementias, it means that we're not really having the right conversation about how are we going to do care now, but how are we going to do care in the future? And so right, and we don't. a lot of it's a little scary. 
And we don't really have a, a long-term services and support system, right? We're all public pay. We're all mm-hmm. private pay. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so little support uh, for what are, are really long, difficult days uh, when you're caring for someone with any type of dementia. And so, you know, our, we think we know what an overwhelmed healthcare system looks like thanks to COVID, um, mm-hmm. and, but we haven't scratched the surface about what an overwhelmed caregiver uh, system looks like uh, with the number of people who will get dementia in the next, you know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a frightening, frightening number. And, you know, we really do wonder how are we going to address this? How are we going to meet this challenge to provide care for this group of people? How will, how will a, we? It's a concerning thing. How will we meet that challenge? Something drastically <laughs> has to change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd ask the obvious question. And, and to make that change happen, uh, does it take more legislators who see dementia in their families? Because once they become a significantly involved in, in whatever it is, they become a true believer. Well, I, I think, you know, when we look at how do we truly research and, and attack this disease, uh, my thought is we, we've got to have the federal government's backing. And until we get the numbers put forward into research that are equal to the numbers we put forward into the research of the uh, AIDS uh, treatment, I don't know that we're going to make a whole lot of headway. And that, I think, is, is obviously one of our best bets forward is preventative care. Um, we know that meditation actually heals the brain, actually helps the brain. Now, that doesn't mean for a person with dementia they've got a disease process. But for you, for me, for Carol, for people listening, meditation does tremendous things to help our brain age well and to help our brain deal with the stress right now. And meditation can happen in as little as 30 seconds or as as long as somebody wants to meditate. It it comes in all forms. To show you what a genius Dr. George Rapier is, Carol, share with him what we're doing on breathing exercises at meetings all across uh, WellMed day after day after day. Started using one of our stress-busting techniques, which is the... Yeah, you breathe in for four, keep it in for seven, blow it out in eight. Yeah, so, so basically the bottom line is, Tam... We have to teach everyone, our professional caregivers, our healthcare system, and our families and the people living with the disease, how to manage their stress, a life where we've got good brain health. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorites right now is uh, Greenstone's Awesome Icebreaker. And this is for when you just feel like your world's spinning out of control, you take a piece of ice, hold it in your hand, shut your eyes and breathe through your nose in and out 10 times. And what it does is it causes the brain to come back to its main line of monitoring the body systems. And you're sort of freaking your brain out because it's hand, the hand is dripping and it's both burning and freezing. And within seconds, it will allow a person to calm down. So I had a community call me from the north and ask, you know, what can we do for our caregivers? We can see their stress levels. And it was like, you know, I think once an hour you need to walk around and let them hold a cube of ice and let them bring themselves back down. So anything that we can begin to practice as just a normal routine that we all do something to get ourselves centered is is only going to be helpful to us. You mentioned meditation and you mentioned 
breathing exercises. Uh, and, and when you say that, I think people immediately think of the caregiver. But you can include uh, the care recipient in that as well to the extent uh, they, that they can understand that kind of direction. Oh, absolutely. And in communities, we do meditative breathing, but we do it as lung exercises. And our patients or our, our residents are sitting in a chair and we're doing deep, slow breathing with them. And part of it is a meditative process and part of it is range of motion to keep their lungs as healthy as possible. Hey, Tam, I hate so to say this. you absolutely can find ways to do that. We are flat out of time. You have a website people can go to? TamCummings.com. Doesn't get easier than that. Thank you so much. Appreci- Thank you. Appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tam Cummins, internationally known for her memory work and her work uh, with those with Alzheimer's disease and other dementia. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zorniel, our co-host, is here. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892.